Well, good, good morning and welcome, everybody. It's, it's a bit strange saying good morning. Um, I'm not sure when you're going to be tuning in, but nevertheless, welcome, and we're, we're grateful that you've, you've joined us today. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for bringing us close to you through the blood of Christ. We thank you that we're no longer strangers and aliens, and that we're m members of your household, which is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Father, we thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, is the cornerstone in whom the whole building is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Father, we're grateful for these things. We, we're grateful that you've chosen us to be a place where you can be worshipped, a place where you can dwell here on earth. And so we commit ourselves to you this morning and ask that you would speak to us and teach us how to grow into the fullness of everything that you have for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're just going to spend a few moments in family time. And uh, the, the first thing on the agenda is to talk about the fast which we had yesterday. Um, I'm hoping that it was uh, a success for you. But you know, even if it wasn't, even if uh, you, you missed out on the fast or if you started and then you let yourself down, that doesn't really matter because the main point is that we want to start taking small steps towards being a church that prays more and that fasts more. So there's going to be opportunity next week, next Wednesday, we're going to do the same thing again. And it doesn't really matter what you fast from. If you fast from a meal, if you fast from two meals, if you fast from Facebook, uh, some sort of a treat which you normally have during the day, as long as you're giving something up and in the process of giving that thing up, it reminds you of your dependence on God. And that's one of the reasons why food is so important um, to fast from because we need food to live and uh, we need the bread, that the spiritual bread that God gives us even more so. And so when we feel physical hunger, that reminds us of our spiritual hunger, which is actually greater and needs to be attended to, but is often overlooked. So let's continue to do that. The Zimbabwe is in such a mess, and in fact, the whole world is in a mess. And with the passing of Brendan Hutchings um, this, this, this last week, I think people are desperate for hope. People realize that nothing is safe in this world. And that's why we need to be crying out on their behalf, on behalf of the nation, on behalf of ourselves to God, because that's what Christians do. Christians call out to God and they ask him for help. The other thing I wanted to mention in family time is that um, Murray and Pierre Evans are working together with Craig and Sarah Roberts to start a new alpha group because they've got a lot of friends and, and contacts People who are interested in the faith, who are not necessarily church growers, but want to find out more about the Christian faith. So they, they um, got the ball rolling yesterday evening, and I think Craig was saying that there were over 20 people involved. Isn't that exciting? That's something that we should be praying about. That's something that we should be fasting about, that these folk would come to find hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then lastly, we, we just want to spend a, a moment in prayer for Cheryl Langsmith. She continues in her struggle with cancer. Um, we, we need to look to God for a miracle because things are tough for her. So let's, let's spend a moment praying for her now. Father God, we pray for Cheryl and Trevor and for their children. 
we ask that the reality of your everlasting arms underneath them would really strike home in their hearts. And then as a body of believers, as Harvest Church, their family, their local church, we cry out on their behalf for healing. Father, we look to you for a miracle and we ask that you would heal Cheryl and that you would kill the cancer in her body. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So now would be the time for you to, to hit pause and move on to some praise and worship if you're going to be doing that with your family or with the group that you're meeting with. Um, and once we've done that, hit play again. And we'll come to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16, which I'd, I'd like to read this week. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. To walk in a manner means to live in a manner. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, and he's quoting here from Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the low regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's Word and what a wonderful passage we're coming to today. In fact, it's going to take two sermons to, to cover this material. If you live in Harare, as, as most of us do, you will have noticed that a lot of properties have steel tank stands with a plastic water tank on top of it. Now, if you study that steel tank stand, you're going to learn a lot about steel fabrication and design. You'll learn about nuts and bolts and welding and, uh, and how to design a tank stand. But that is not the main point of a tank stand. The main purpose of a tank stand is to support the plastic water tank which sits on top. And it's the same with today's passage because 
Paul has built a superstructure, if you like, a stand, if you like, of instructions and theological reminders, all of it with the purpose of supporting the idea that we need to grow up. In verse 14 it says, so that we may no longer be children. You see words like maturity. You see um, phrases where, where it talks about we need to be equipped for the work of ministry, to serve others so that the body can be built up, so that we can attain to the fullness of Christ Jesus, so that we can be adults rather than children. Ten years ago, uh, Joyce Mayers came to Harare and she hosted what she called a festival of life. And she said something that has always stuck with me. She said, it took a lot of money to come here. People at home gave their money to get me here. They sacrificed and I don't want to waste their sacrifice. I'd like us to think for a moment of what it took to get you to where you are today in your Christian faith. Let's think first of all of the cost and the sacrifice to God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was up there in heaven. He had a right to all the privileges that accrued to him as the Son of God. And yet he didn't hold on to those privileges at the expense of us. He let them go so that he could come to earth and meet our need. Those hands which threw stars into space were surrendered to a cross. He was beaten, he was tortured, he was crucified, and then worst of all, he was separated from the Father and the Spirit. No longer in their presence, he no longer had access with them. In fact, he was no longer at peace with them. This relationship that had existed from eternity past was broken, and he did it for us so that we could get to where we are today. And then think of the cost to believers in every generation. Because don't underestimate the sacrifice that every generation needs to make in order to make sure that the baton of faith is passed on to the next generation. We all enjoy the benefit of an English translated, uh, translation of the Bible today. And we have that translation because of William Tyndale and the sacrifices that he made. When he chose to translate the Bible into English from Latin, he ended up getting put into prison. He was eventually um, convicted of heresy. He was strangled and he was burnt at the stake. All so that we could get to where we are today, so that we could have an English translation of the Bible. And all of these things happened a long time ago so that Jesus could start pursuing you when you started your life here on earth. You know, the process started, Paul tells us, that we were predestined before the dawn of time. God decided that we would become believers and he started setting the scene through the sacrifice of his son, through the sacrifice of kings and prophets and priests, through the sacrifices of Christians in every generation. He set the scene for us to be drawn into his family. Who is this king of glory that pursues me with his love and haunts me with each hearing of his softly spoken word? My conscience a reminder of forgiveness that I need 
Who is this King of Glory who offers it to me? This is how Third Day expresses it in one of their songs. Yes, you chose Christ, but only because He chose you first and He got everything in place and He pursued you with His love until you yielded to Him. And it cost a lot to get you to where you are today. And folks, that's why we need to grow up. Paul begins this passage today and he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. That was the, one of the prices that he had to pay so that the Ephesians could become Christians. He was a prisoner for the gospel. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk or to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. But what is this manner? What is it that we need to do? And we've already said it's, it's to grow up. We need to grow up. And so what we'd like to do today is to answer that question, how? How do we grow up? And we grow up by becoming the kind of church where people can grow. We, we become a transformational church. Because unless we are part of a vibrant, transformational local church, we as individuals are not going to grow up. That's the whole point of this passage. And people who come into our fellowship are not going to grow up either. They're going to be born again, but they're going to be at risk. And we don't want that to happen. We need to grow up. We need to become the kind of church, uh, like, a, like a vegetable garden, where everything is in place for vegetables to grow, for plants to grow. We need to be like that. And so this time, we're going to talk about how we can do that by building unity through charity. And we're going to have a look at what God has done to make charity possible. So let's dive straight in to how do we build unity through charity so that we can grow up. Now don't get me wrong when, when, when you hear me using the word charity. I'm not talking about giving to a charity. There's another meaning to it and we're going to get to that. I don't know if you've noticed that mature Christians really care about unity. Mature Christians are not characterized by divisiveness. They've learned the lesson that unity is important and they've made it their responsibility to build unity. Mature Christians are not lone rangers. Mature Christians are team players. They are active members of the body of Christ. So let's get to this word charity. What do we mean by charity? How can we be charitable? And Paul tells us in verse 2, he says that we should walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And then he describes how we do that with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And so there's three things here. Charitable people are humble, they are gentle and they are patient in love. Let's have a look at that first word, humble. Humble people promote unity. Let's have a look and see why. A proud person values himself too highly, but a humble person values others. A proud person values himself at the expense of others, but a humble person doesn't do that. Proud people are self-centered, but humble people are outward-looking. 
Now, I would encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 8, sometime after this sermon, because in those verses, Paul gives us a very concise teaching of what it looks like to be humble, and he uses Jesus Christ as an example. Let's read it. In verse 3, it says, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition. So that's the first thing that we need to get rid of. It says in James that wherever you find selfish ambition, you find chaos and disorder of the worst kind. <laughs> Isn't that the case in Zimbabwe today? Because people are serving their own interests at the expense of others, because they are proud rather than humble, we have chaos and disorder of the worst kind. We need to set that right in the church. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. What is conceit? Conceit is having an overinflated view of your own importance. Yes, we are important. Of course, all of us are valuable, but not at the expense of others. So Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Then he sets up a contrast of what we should be like, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know, we tend to think that we are the, the, the most important people in the universe, that everything revolves around us, that our ideas are the most important ideas, that our goals are the most important goals, that our ambitions are the most important ambitions. But this is not the case. Every person has their own hopes and desires and dreams and visions. And so when we work in the church or when we're in our place of work and we're working on a team, we need to remind ourselves that we're not the only one who have ideas. We're not the only one who has facts. We're not the only one who has some sort of a dream. We need to find out what other people's dreams and ideas and facts are and get them into a common pool of meaning so that we can work together. Look also to the interests of others. And then Paul goes on to use the example of Christ. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. We've had a look at that idea a lot in Ephesians, haven't we? Of all the different things that accrue to us now because we are in Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, talking about Jesus, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, something to hold on to for his own advantage. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I would encourage you to spend time reflecting on that passage this week because as you reflect and meditate on it, it'll help you to see what it means to be humble. No more selfish ambition at the expense of others. Find out what God's ambitions are and align yourself to those. No more conceit and overinflated view of your own importance. Counting other people as being important as well looking to the interests of others, being a servant, being obedient to God. And so to sum it all up, 
Humility means being outward looking. It means being willing to serve others and to obey Christ above all else. But there's more to being charitable. When we serve God with other people on a team, whether it's at work or in a family or at church, it's also going to require gentleness. Look at verse 2 again. With all humility and gentleness. I find that when we're facing a trial as a family or when we're under pressure, and also at work as well, when we're battling, that is when I have to make a conscious effort to be gentle. Because it's at times like that when I'm inclined to be short with people, when I'm inclined to be irritable, maybe to be a little bit cutting, um, to be impatient. So let's remind ourselves that if we, if we act in that way, if we don't act in gentleness, it is going to compromise unity. It's going to be, make it harder for us to work together. We shouldn't take it out on others when we're under stress. Why is, it that we, that, why is it that we will often kick the dog when we're under stress? I mean, what has the dog done? Or get irritable with the kids. And to my shame, I know that sometimes my family get the sharp end of my frustration. And it's something that I need to continue to work on, knowing that I am in Christ and that He can help me in these areas. So, humble, gentle, and then to treat people gently requires patience. And folks, this is a massive one. Do you see it says there, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. That word patience is macrothymia in the Greek, and it comes up often. And I've done a word study on it, and this is how we can define it. It is to show self-restraint when bearing with the sins and the folly of others. To show self-restraint when bearing with the sin and the folly of others. What is folly? Folly is foolishness. Make no mistake, we sometimes do silly, foolish things, not out of overt sinfulness, but simply because we lack wisdom or because we've been thoughtless. And it does have an impact on other people. I do it, you do it, and it has an impact on the people around us. I can think of an occasion when through folly, I ended up locking our family out of the house at nine o'clock at night. We couldn't get into the house. And Gail exercised gentleness with me. She didn't roll her eyes. She didn't give a big sigh. She didn't accuse me. And folks, that builds unity. It's amazing what an effect that has. And so we need to bear with the foolishness and the folly of other people. But we also need to bear with their sinfulness. We need to, sh to show self-restraint when people are sinful. But often when people are sinful or foolish, we think that that gives us um, an, an excuse to treat them harshly or without gentleness or to really rub their nose in what they've done. But imagine if God had done that. Imagine if He treated us the way that we deserved to be treated. We're His children. We carry His family likeness. He hasn't treated us the way we deserve to be treated. We shouldn't treat other people, even when they deserve to be treated, in a sense badly because they've been sinful and foolish. Now just have a look at verse 2 again. It says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, 
bearing with one another in love. Those two expressions, being patient and bearing with one another, are parallel. They mean the same thing. And to be patient is to bear with another person. But notice that we do it in love. We were told in that amazing prayer that we studied last time that every Christian is rooted and grounded in love, whether they're aware of it or not. We need to make ourselves aware of it. You are rooted and grounded in love. And it is that reality which makes it possible for you to be patient with other people. So being charitable requires us to be humble, to be gentle, and to be patient in love. And then the last thing is that it requires us to be peaceable. Peace is a bond that keeps us unified. It says in verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When peace is threatened in a relationship or in a family or in a work situation, then unity is threatened. And we must make every effort to maintain, maintain, work at it, um, keep it going, maintain the bond of peace. In Romans 12 verse 18, Paul says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now sometimes another person may choose not to work at peace. They may choose not to be um, in, a, in a relationship of peace with us. There's nothing we can do about it. We can only control ourselves. But as far as it depends on us, we need to live at peace with everything. If something has broken the bond of peace between you and someone else, then you need to make every effort to restore it. And usually the dashboard indicator that I look for, which tells me that the bond of peace has been compromised, is the fact that I want to withdraw. Somebody has done something, somebody has said something, it's hurt me or it's offended me, and my inclination is to withdraw from that person. And then I know the bond of peace has been compromised. And of course, as Christians, we don't want to withdraw from one another. We don't want to allow some small barrier to develop and for that barrier to build up over time so that we are separated from someone else, so that there is no unity there. And folks, there are a few options for us when we see that dashboard indicator flashing away. The first option is not to do anything about it um, in the sense of going to the person and confronting, but just simply deciding to forgive and accept. And sometimes that is appropriate. I remember chatting to my, my grandmother years ago and she said, for decades I try to get your grandpa to put the lid back on the, the toothpaste tube. And because he didn't do it, I just felt that he wasn't valuing me, that he didn't love me. He couldn't go to the trouble of putting the lid back on the tube. And then she eventually came to the conclusion, you know what? My thinking is possibly a little bit flawed here. It's <laughs> the fact that he loves me doesn't hinge on whether he puts the lid on the tube. So I'm not going to try and control him. I'm not going to try and change him in that area. I'm simply going to forgive him and accept that this is the way things are going to be in our relationship. And that's a, that's a little bit of a, of a petty example. But it, it does illustrate the point. Sometimes we just need to recognize 
um, that we've got to counsel ourselves, do what we can to change ourselves, forgive the person and move on. But then there are also times when that barrier is just not going away. Someone has genuinely been sinful towards us and we need to go to them to re-establish that bond of peace. And as you know, um, I posted quite a lot of videos on, on this whole concept of crucial conversation. Later on in this passage, it talks about speaking the truth in love. Sometimes we've got to have those difficult conversations with people. It is, we're not peacemakers if we're simply doormats that, and, and, and we allow other people to walk all over us. We don't just sweep things out of sight. Um, we, we, we don't put things, you know, locked away in a can where there's just going to be worms and maggots and horrible things inside there. We need to open it up and get it sorted out for the sake of healing. So the question we ask today is, will you decide in your mind and in your heart to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace by being charitable today? Because if you are charitable in the way that we've described, then the environment that we create at Harvest is going to be the kind of environment where you as an individual can grow, where I can grow, where we can all grow, and where those who are being brought in, perhaps some of these people from the, the Alpha course that's running, the new Alpha course, they can be brought into an environment where they will also grow. But don't forget that this is a partnership and God has already provided the basis for unity. Let's have a look at verse 4. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope. Just listen to the number of times Paul uses the word one here. The one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What's he doing here? He's emphasizing the foundation, the basis of unity, the work that God has already done so that there is unity. We simply need to express it and to maintain it. Yes, we do have a responsibility and our responsibility is to maintain unity through being charitable. But it's already been done. The lion's share of the work has already been done by God. I just like to emphasize three things here. First of all, the fact that we are one body. We belong to one body. In chapter 2 verse 15b, we read that Jesus created in himself one new man in place of the two, so making, making peace. So Jesus was doing a work of recreation on the cross. Remember, he created everything in the first place. But then on the cross, he was creating a new entity, a new category of mankind. And we are part of that body. He has created something new. He created in himself. And now that we are in Christ, we are one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So the reality is that we are one with other Christians. There's also one spirit. That's the second thing. In, in uh, verse 18 in chapter 2, he says, We both have access in one spirit to the Father. I have access to the Father through one spirit. 
Don has access to the Father in one spirit. The Holy Spirit is in him. The Holy Spirit is in me. We are one because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And then thirdly and lastly, we are one family. And that's because we have the same Father. What are the implications of that? My brother told me a story of a friend of his who was sharing a life experience with my brother. And this man had been offended by another Christian. And the other Christian had been genuinely sinful towards him. And so he was spending time with God. And he was praying one of those prayers that goes along the lines of, Father, you need to sort this guy out. And then God set up a little conversation, as it were, in his head. And God said to him, which guy are you talking about? So, so, so my, my brother's friend said, well, you know exactly who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Joe Bloggs. And then it was like God said to him, oh, Joe Bloggs, that guy that I sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for on the cross. Is, is, is that the person that you're talking about? Is that the guy that you're talking about? The guy that's your brother that you're going to spend eternity with? It starts to change our perspective on things when we realize the way God has tr treated us. He hasn't treated us as our sins deserve. And that person that we want God to punish is our brother. He is going to spend eternity with us. So God has provided a basis for unity. We're one body. We're united by one spirit. We have one father. And if we want to start growing up today, we must determine in our hearts to build unity through charity. That's our responsibility. We are to maintain the unity that God has already established and we are to build on that foundation by treating other people with charity. And let me tell you for free that the best place to start practicing charity is in your own family. I'm willing to bet that there will be opportunity to practice humility and gentleness and patience this very day. Bear with one another in love and maintain the bond of peace. I hope that we'll do that because if we do do that, then we are going to become a transformational church. We're going to create an environment at Harvest where we can all grow. And we will see in the coming weeks that it is impossible for Christians to grow in isolation. We need to be plugged into a vibrant living body. And we're not going to have a vibrant living body unless we're prepared to do the work to maintain and to express what God has already done for us. Shall we pray? Father God, it's just mind-blowing to think of what you have done for us and what you have achieved in order to establish a foundation for unity. And so here at Harvest, we want to be people who are characterized by being charitable, by being patient in love, by being gentle, by being humble. Father, help us to do that. We pray that that your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would live in our hearts through faith in this way so that we would express those characteristics in our lives and so that our church would continue to be and would become more and more 
a transformational church, the kind of garden bed, if you like, where plants can grow. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. Um, we're going to have a guest speaker next week. Trevor Loudonstool is going to be um, preaching and sharing a word with us. And I'm really looking forward to that. He always preaches with such authority and power um, in, in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And so just invite you and remind you um, to sign in with us next week to listen to Trevor. God bless and I hope you have a good and charitable week. Bye for now.